We're in the second of a um, sermon series from the book of Genesis, drawn primarily from the lectionary passages. Uh, Today's reading begins at Genesis 11, verse 27, and goes through 12, verse 4. Listen well, it's a genealogy. (laughs) Now these are the descendants of Terah. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred to your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, as we gather around your word, may the words of this sermon by your spirit become your word to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Even if we are a casual reader of the Bible, we seem to know that the book contains genealogies. These easily become a reason that we give up reading the book. I just don't understand all those begats. We say, but in the midst of these begats, there are stories of families and individuals worth telling stories of faith and doubt of hope and heartache of fear and courage. And there are people who seek to address short term problems and engage in long term struggles and who seem to know the difference between the two. It is from an early biblical genealogy we learn that one of the brothers of Abram, named Haran, dies before their father Terah dies, leaving Terah to bury his adult son. 
a reversal of the order of life, the order in which life and death are supposed to occur. We also learn that when Haran dies, he leaves three children behind. A son named Lot, about whom we will hear much in Genesis. A daughter named Milka, who plays a little role in future biblical narrative. And another daughter named Iska, from whom, through Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice, it is thought we get the name Jessica. It's not in the Bible. When God calls Haran's surviving brother Abram, whom we will later know as Abraham, to leave their father Terah's house and journey to a land that God will show him, Haran's son Lot accompanies Abram and his wife Sarai, whom we will later know as Sarah. Later, Abram and Lot will part ways as significant conflict develops between them in a sheep farming enterprise they found together, warning us that family businesses are always a challenge. The same genealogy recites births that occur in each family with almost poetic rhythm. Entries like those found in the front of a family Bible we may have inherited from our grandparents or great-grandparents. The recitation of these births goes all the way back to the generation that emerged from the ark. Listen for the rhythm. When Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of a parkshed two years after the flood. When a parkshed had lived for 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. When Shelah had lived for 30 years, he became the father of Eber. This list of birth goes on for six more generations until we get to our passage. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. When Terah had lived for 70 years, he became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Abraham Nahor, and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Then if we have not been lulled to sleep by the rhythm, we notice a break in the patterns of birth as it is written, Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. In a rhythmic and beautiful list of births, Sarai is identified as an exception, a tragedy, an aberration, the bearer of an absence, perhaps even a blight on the family history of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Have you ever known what it was like to be an exception, an aberration, an absence from a list of achievements and accomplishments? Have you ever been to a high school reunion a month or so after your divorce was final and the waiters scurry to find a table in which there is an uneven number of settings at the farewell dinner and dance? 
Have you ever been to an alumni reunion where everyone introduces themselves by the work they do and you have to stand and say, I've just gone into business for myself and hope no one asks a follow-up? Have you ever sat through the graduation Set through a graduation as the principal who can only speak the language of achievements and accomplishments and awards reads the seemingly endless list of national merit semifinalists while you simply hope that when the diplomas are distributed, your child's name will actually have made it onto the list. Are you wistful whenever there's an infant baptism in church? Do you open wedding invitations with mixed feelings? Are baby showers hard for you to attend? Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Thus, we are only half a chapter After the Tower of Babel. A chapter and a half after the abating of the floodwaters. Eleven chapters, only eleven chapters into the entire book of the Bible. When loss and absence jump out from the page at us. Haran died before his father Terah. Sarai had no child. The unexpected that happens. The expected that doesn't happen. Life cut short. Life never begun. Yet in the very next chapter of this book called the Bible, God speaks into this family in whom absence has been an intruder. God calls one of Haran's surviving brothers, Abram, and Abram's wife, Sarai, to become the first generation of the people God is forming to be the agents of God's blessings to all the peoples of the world. The call to Abram and Sarai involves three elements that God initiates right up front. A promise of land to be revealed and given to them when they arrive in it. A promise of descendants who will comprise the great nation that will become God's people. And a promise that Abram and Sarah and their descendants will be blessed To be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Land, descendants, and blessed to be a blessing. This is the call to Abram and Sarai in the premature loss of Abram's brother. And in the absence of a child of their own. It is a call that comes in loss begins with absence. Now, if this were Hollywood or Hallmark, 
Sarah, whom we'll now go call her, her real name that we know her by. Sarah would conceive in the first segment of the program, have a gender reveal in the second segment, a baby shower in the third, and in the fourth segment, the child would be born in a hospital suite more lavish than any home the child will likely ever occupy. Cut to credits, to commercials, select the skip ads, and move on to the next episode of this miniseries. But Genesis is not Hollywood. Sarah is 60 years old when this promise of a child is made. Abraham is 75. It will be 25 more years before their child Isaac is born. 25 years between promise and fulfillment. 25 years before absence is ended in the birth of Isaac. Rabbis studying this text centuries ago point out that in Hebrew, the phrase that we translate, she had no child, ein lavlad, is followed by a paradox. Quote, wherever it is written, ein la, there is not, there essentially is. Aviva Zornberg points out that just as Esther, later in the Old Testament, is identified as fatherless and motherless, and yet will rise to save her people from genocide, The infertility of Abraham and Sarah leads them at ages 60 and 75 to travel to a far country in search of a promise of fertility that seems to come so naturally to all of their descendants who've come before. What is it that leads Abraham and Sarah to be so optimistic as to believe? As to go. What is it that leads them to trust God after so many years of waiting? And what leads them to follow that trust for 25 more years? Now, like is often in the case with the Old Testament, the text doesn't tell us what is going on in Abraham's heart and mind or in Sarah's. It simply says, God said, go, and four verses later, Abraham went. And we don't see anything of Sarah's inner life and thoughts. But Zornberg finds a hint of what leads them to follow in the Yeats poem that inspired the late Cormac McCarthy. That is no country for old men, the poem begins. An aged man is but a paltry thing, a tattered coat upon a stick. Unless soul clap its hands and sing. 
For Abraham and Sarah, the experience of God, the experience of the Holy One, the experience of call is soul clapping its hands and singing. But the results are not immediate. It's 25 more years before God's promise of their fruitfulness bears literal fruit. 25 years of believing, of hoping, of praying, of wondering, of doubting. But then conception occurs. A child is born. Descendants proliferate. A nation is formed. God's redemption of the human race takes new form. Soul claps its hands and sings. And it all has begun in absence, in pain, in loss, in uncertainty, in wonderment. This past Tuesday, Maggie and I hosted two friends whom neither of us had seen for nearly 20 years. I had once been their pastor, she their church educator, when they were a young couple struggling with infertility. After several miscarriages, they finally had a pregnancy in which it appeared the infant would make it to term, but then suddenly stillborn. They called me from the hospital and asked me to come and say a prayer before they turned the body over to the funeral home. The hospital had given them all the time that they needed. I braced myself for what I might see. But when I arrived, they had decided to hold the baby's body beneath the mother's blanket. While I uttered words to God, I had written on a card in the likelihood that I would not be able to get through them. I did get through them. I left the card with the parents as the kindly staff from the funeral home came to take the body and prepare it for its resting place. A few years later, a son was born to this couple, and I was thrilled to do the baptism. But during the baptism, we never got to the words in the water because the child was howling in such agony that the parents, it's never happened to me before, the parents had to take the child out before we could baptize him. We were able to bring him back and baptize him after the hymn and after the benediction, but it was quick and quiet. But thankfully in the Presbyterian Church, it still counted. (laughs) A few months later, they learned that their child's crying through his baptism was not anachronistic. Doctors told them that he would have a lifetime of developmental issues. Two years later, another son was born with the same prognosis. Now, this past Tuesday night, these two brothers, now I kid you not, 6'4 and 6'5", One in college, one graduating from high school, 
stretched their legs out from our patio chairs as we all ate hamburgers and chips and ice cream, and as the adults reconstructed the last 20 years. These two young men sat quietly for four hours. And at times, appropriate to the conversation, they shared their experiences of the past week on this, their first trip to the nation's capital. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, the changing of the guard, was their favorite. This couple, both teachers, have dedicated their lives to these two sons. They are as heroic as Abraham and Sarah and Esther. Soul clapped its hands and sang for this couple who in the absence that descended upon and defined their lives for the early stages of their marriage led them never to give up hope, never to stop searching, never to stop listening, never to stop waiting, never to stop praying, never to stop crying, never to stop doubting, never to stop being angry, and never to stop believing. The waiting wasn't easy, and neither would I suspect have been the years of rearing their sons and diligently seeking the right education and the right services and the right medical care. But soul finally clapped its hands for them. Blessing came, and then came again. And those blessings sat across our patio table on a beautiful June evening near the nation's capital when the bugs weren't out and the air was pleasant and one could still be moved by the changing of the guard. Wherever it is written, there is not, the ancient rabbi said, Essentially, there is. Amen.